Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Welcome, everyone, to the COVID edition of the COO Roundtable. I know many of you have gotten back into the conference circuit and you've been attending many industry conferences. I have been hunkered in my house with tinfoil on my head, <laughs>、uh, but I decided to venture out and attend my very first conference last week, and of course, immediately came down with COVID. So I apologize for my voice today, but I didn't want to postpone this recording any further, as June was the first month that we've missed an episode in our three year run. Our two guests are very hard to pin down, and we had to postpone this recording twice already, so I didn't want to postpone again just because my voice is a little goofy. So, because Christy and Melissa are so busy, they have really taken time management to a new level. And we're going to discuss that along with some pretty cool things that both of them are working on outside of their normal day jobs. So, so let's get to it.、Um, Christy Clayton is formerly the integrator at a wealth management firm and today acts as integrator at iMatter and the Visionary Forum. Christy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Great. And joining Christy is Melissa Bushman, VP of Operations at AltruVista, located in Houston, Texas. Melissa also uses the title of integrator at the firm, where she has been for almost five years now.、Uh, Melissa has an, an incredible career story, which I'm going to ask her about in just a second. But first, let me just say welcome and thanks for being here, Melissa. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Great. Well, Christy, why don't you walk us through your career progression to where you are today? Oh, yeah, that's a great question.、Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting when you look back at my career because it's clear that I've always been an integrator and I've always worked with visionaries.、Uh, the real difference between、um, you know, my previous employment versus where I am、uh, with a wealth management firm and where I'm going is that we didn't have an operating system to really give us great foundation on how to work well together. So once I found that operating system, and we just happened to use the entrepreneurial operating system or EOS, it really solidified for us roles and accountability, and it really was able to help us move exponentially forward. So I've had an amazing career working in、um, banking and credit unions. And then I switched for a little while, thought I would want to do medical、uh, administration and、uh, learned not so much. <laughs> so I went back to wealth management.、Um, and I just really have a true passion for leading teams and you know, developing and growing people. So an integrator role is absolutely perfect for me. Great. Melissa, I alluded to it earlier, but walk us through your career path that led you to AltraVista. Absolutely.、Um, so I came out of college and went into the management consulting world because I wanted to travel the world and gain all sorts of experience. And I did that. And when I got sick of traveling, I moved more into a program and project management type roles and started running consulting companies,、um, which I love doing. I was, I mean, here in Houston. So I was very embedded in the oil and gas world.、Um, and then I decided to completely shift gears and go. Pursue a passion because I thought I wanted to work in sports and entertainment. I worked for the Houston Super Bowl host committee here in Houston, which was a lot of fun. And I don't actually want to work in sports and entertainment. So that's great.、Um, when I left that, I did some nonprofit work with a fantastic charter school here in Houston.、Um, but my love and passion is really small businesses and growing teams. 
And I really wanted to get back into the world of growing small businesses and growing teams. Um, and so I found Ali, who is my visionary, through the EOS network. Um, I had read Traction in 2015. I knew I was an integrator. And I really just wanted to get back into that world and be an integrator. And that led me to UltraVista and Ollie here in Houston. And I have been with them just shy of five years now. Um, and I am loving it. It's great. It's a great experience. I get to work with business owners. They are our primary client and I work for a small business. So it really is the best of both worlds for me. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, EOS made famous by Gina Wickman. Uh, mm -hmm. We've had several of our guests on the podcast talk about uh, traction. Um, you both, I think, just got back from the EOS conference in Orlando. It's it's become a huge part of both of your lives. Uh, Melissa, I'll go to you first. How did you first get involved in EOS and how have you implemented it at the firm? So I was introduced to EOS through a Vistage group in 2015 and fell in love with it because I read about what an integrator was. And it was the first time in my life that I didn't feel on the outside somewhere. I understood that. There were, there were others in the world like me. I just needed to find them. And so that's really what brought me um, to EOS was the definition of and a place, my place at the table. Um, and I was able to bring elements of EOS into the organization I was at at the time, um, into other organizations I had been in. Um, my specific experience with UltraVista is we started our EOS journey in late 2018 and we self-implemented. And in 2019, we realized that we should not have self-implemented and we should have, in fact, followed advice and gotten an implementer. So we got an implementer and um, brought an implementer on board. Um, and that EOS implementer is there really just to be your guide through the operating system and teach you how to bring it into your organization. Um, and then the integrator can own that operating system within the organization. Um, and so we've been doing that for the past couple of years um, of... Uh, working to refine what we do and how we do things in our organization using EOS. So you're still uh, a couple of years in, you're still working with the outside integrator? Um, we the are implementer? still working. Yes. So we still, the implementer, um, we still work with our implementer and use them to guide us through. Cause we started a little bit late, um, honestly, yep. since we had tried self-implementing or since we had self-implemented and not that we weren't successful self-implementing, but, um, that's not my specialty. And there are fantastic tools for people who self-implement and fantastic things to do. But there is definitely some great benefits to bringing an implementer on who is trained by EOS worldwide in the operating system to help guide you through it. Plus, they just have so much knowledge across industries and companies to bring in best practices. Yeah. Well, Christy, why don't you share with us how you were introduced to EOS and how it's influenced your approach to work? Yeah, so very similar story to Melissa. Um, you know, I was um, I was transitioning my role, and I found an amazing uh, wealth management firm here in Birmingham. And um, when I was hired, unknown to me, all of the assessments and like pre-employment assessments and all the things that they were interviewing me for was for the integrator role. The position that they had posted was for an operations manager. And since that's what I had done previously, I, I really felt like I was a great fit. Obviously, we agreed. Um, and I was hired and the visionary uh, called me and said, hey, I'm going to send you a couple of books and I really want you to read them so you know and understand how we operate our business. <clears throat> and very similar to Melissa, I read the book and I'll never forget the experience. I was sitting 
you know, reading the book, uh, Traction and Rocket Fuel on a Saturday. And first of all, I just could not put them down because I was just so intrigued by these tools and resources that seemed so simple. But yet when you when you saw them all put together in the way that Traction really explains it, the way that Gino really put it together, it just felt like magic. It was like, if this really truly happens the way that the book says it is, this is going to be magic. This is going to be amazing to work in. And then I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that experience of sitting there on a Saturday reading the book. And I got to the integrator role and I just, just cried. My, I like sobbed. Tears were just flowing down my face. And I'll never forget my husband looking at me going, oh, goodness, you haven't even started working yet. They're making you cry. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not the company. <laughs> I finally have an identity. I know who I am as a person now. Yeah. I'm this integrator that's explained. And I think, you know, like I said previously, um, you know, earlier that I've always been an integrator. It's naturally who I am. And I think that's true of most integrators. It's just naturally who we are as people. But to finally have someone define it and show us, hey, this is this is who you are. It just enlightened me. And it really like, finally, someone has explained who I am. And now I'm able to use it and work with it. Um, you know, and for me, you know, starting, starting at the wealth management firm, you know, there was a plan for me that, you know, I would transition in five to seven years as the partner who was currently holding the title of integrator as she retired and phased out. And what we learned is she did not GWC. She did. She really just did not want the role as an integrator. And it came so natural for me that we made that switch within seven months of my being there. And, you know, by that happening, we were able to, I love the, the title rocket fuel because it's really what it is. It just projected us forward so quickly, um, having those right people in the right seats to really make things happen and following the tools. We were able to really grow exponentially. We, we brought on more team members. We, we brought on more clients. Things were just coming together in a way that we had not had happen before. And so it was it was really truly a, a wonderful place to be to see all of these great things coming together and happening for the firm. So obviously it had a big impact on you. And so you've taken EOS further than just the work at your your, yeah. your former wealth management firm. You you went ahead, this is incredible. You went ahead and have created an international mentoring group for female integrators called FIM. Female Integrator Mastermind, FIM. So talk to us, talk to us about that. It's, it's really an incredible story. Oh, it's my passion in life. Um, so I, you know, again, I had been an integrator for the firm for seven months. And to be very frank and honest, I was simultaneously thrilled and terrified. I was like, I'm so excited. I understand who I am as a person. Oh my gosh, the whole firm is on my shoulders. <laughs> what do I do? Um, and I, so I, I had amazing opportunities. One of our core values at the firm was grow through knowledge and service. And so whenever we had opportunities to learn or, you know, attend conferences or webinars or whatever it may be, we always try to take advantage of those. And so Mark Winters, the author of Rocket Fuel, which, you know, Whitman um, announced his very 
first integrator mastery forum or IMF. And so I had an opportunity to go to that and I was, oh my goodness, I cannot even begin to explain how it just solidified everything for me. There were 50 integrators in a room all together. So not only did we all know EOS and we were talking the same language and, you know, what's an L10 and, you know, JWC and all of the terminology that EOS uses, but we were talking integrator language and we were connecting really, really deeply. And it was a powerful, powerful two or three days that we had together. I'm so incredibly grateful for that experience. Then I came home and I was like, oh man, I, I, I lost that sense of all my people, like my tribe. I had them for a couple of days, but now I'm back home and I felt like I was on an integrator island is what I love to call it on an island all by myself again. And I was trying to figure things out. Um, and then, you know, a couple months later, about nine months later, the very first EOS conference happened in Atlanta and my visionary and I went to that. And that same sense of community came back where it was like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm just pumped to be around the EOS community. The EOS community really is none other than I've ever seen before. It is such a giving and caring community. And they just truly just love to share, love to give, um, you know, complete abundance mindset. And so being in that environment was very powerful again. Then I went back home and I was like, man, I lost it again. Like I, I, I'm, I'm back on Integrator Island all by myself. So I reached out to a few people and I said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Like, I'd really like to connect with other women integrators. At the time, I was the only female integrator here in the state of Alabama that was uh, working with uh, an implementer. And so I, if I had someone to, to reach out to, I had a whole bunch of men that I could reach out to, but I was really wanting to connect with women. Not that, you know, men and women are, are right or wrong or anything like that, but I just really wanted to connect with women and, uh, and I didn't have anybody. So I reached out and I said, here's what I'm thinking. I would love to connect with a group of women integrators and we just start off in a group chat, you know, helping each other. If you have questions about how to use a tool or gosh, how are you doing this in your business? Or again, being on Integrator Island, people don't celebrate the same things that I get super, super excited about. So being able to celebrate that with those things with people who got it, that was powerful. Five women latched onto that. And we talked for about a year in a group chat with each other. And then I started dropping hints of, hey, what if we add more people to the group? Hey, what if we start meeting in more than just a group chat? What if we start having like virtual meetings with speakers coming in? What do y'all think? And at first, it's really funny. This is so true to integrator fashion. We were like, this is working. Let's not change it. <laughs> <laughs> and then a um, couple more times, I just dropped, dropped a couple of hints. What do y'all think? Um, and sure enough, we decided that we would assign me a couple of rocks using those EOS tools um, to grow the group in the number of women that we're meeting and in the way that we were meeting. So to make a very, very long story short, er. Um, we now have about 160 ish women. Melissa probably knows that number better than I do as the integrator of them. Um, but about 160 ish women that are now still have a group chat, but instead of a WhatsApp chat, it is a full blown community. 
It's an app that we've built out for ourselves. Amazing conversation happens there. We have the the workshops that I really wanted to, to, was the next step for us. They're monthly. We bring in leadership experts, marketing, um, industry experts, um, just a lot of different people who are really helping us grow and better ourselves as integrators and, and better our companies. We now have what we call roundtables or forums of eight to 10 women that are meeting. Um, they're really getting close and, and making connections with each other. And uh, they're just a 90 minute IDS session. And I will tell you, there is nothing like IDSing with a group of integrators. It is mm. wow, fun. Um, and then last but not least, we have our annual summit that we do. I'm super excited. It's coming up in Nashville this year, and it's going to be the first week of November. So Christy mentioned it, Melissa, you're now, in addition to the integrator work at Ultra Vista, you're the integrator of FIM. So tell us about your experience with, with this group. Yes, I am the integrator of integrators, which is a very <laughs> interesting role. Um, my experience with the group. So I actually was exposed to FIM at the 2019 EOS conference in Atlanta. And I went to a breakfast table where they were and they had way too much energy and they were way too happy and it was just way too much there was just too much but there was something <laughs> i might have just described chris it might have just been christy i saw it no, i'm just kidding um it was too much but when i left i just kept getting called back because i was like but these this is my these are my people um and so i did i checked into it and i was involved for a little bit um, and then I got more involved um, and I just slowly got more involved. And so when Christy asked me to consider the integrator role last year, um, I was not only honored, but just really excited. One of my passions is female leadership and developing female leaders and making sure that all women know that they have a seat at the table. Um, and so it fits very well in with who I am as a person. And Man, there are some amazing, I don't know if I can swear, so I almost said a word, but there are some <laughs> such amazing people in this group and they have elevated me um, in such a short amount of time, but just the amount of uh, we rise together thought um, is insane. So it's just a great group of people. Um, and so I, I told Christy, I would consider it. And I said, I'll join a leadership call just to see. And I joined the leadership call and Christy in true visionary fashion was like, well, here's Melissa. She's our next or she's oh. our integrator. And I was like, <laughs> testing. No. Okay. But, um, it's just a great group of people. Um, they're very, very like-minded, um, and, and yet different experiences across the board and they just look out for one another. So it's a hard group to say no to. Yeah. Well, listeners to this podcast have heard me say many times that I have this huge chip on my shoulder because I have the belief that the average RIA owner views the COO role as someone who simply reboots the router from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's been my passion project to elevate the view of the uh, the, the view of the COO in the eyes of the RIA industry. And Christy, when we were doing our pre-calls for this episode, you you had a really interesting uh, distinction. You said you like to teach people the difference between a chief operations officer and a chief operating officer. So talk to us talk to us about that. Yeah, I think you're right. There's so many times, you know, whether you call it 
integrator or chief operating officer or the million other um, titles that are out there for the second in command, you know, it's, it's amazing how sometimes we do get pigeonholed to, oh, that's operations. Mm -hmm. And it's so much more than that. Right. So, you know, for me, a chief operating officer is someone who really owns the operations, um, you know, and they're, they're in it day in, day out. Yes. They're the, they might not be the person who's doing it, but they're, they're managing the the group that is flipping the switch on and off of, of all the things that need to be tested and, um, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked to do that too. And it's like, oh, that's not the only thing I do. Yeah. Um, you know, as a chief operating officer though, or as an integrator, you know, we really, I think the benefit that we can really bring to the table is to be that liaison between the visionary and the, the leadership team and the team to say, hey, what, what are we doing? What is the vision? Where are we going? Like, let's, let's see that picture because sometimes it's really hard to filter that down through the team. They get whiplashed or they just, they're not seeing the puzzle pieces. And also sometimes I think it can be extremely overwhelming for, for someone who, who can't see all of it. So I think the real power of this particular role is to be able to say, Hey, let's take the big vision and break it down into chunks that people can understand. Um, and then let's make processes and, and procedures and let's put things in place so that we can help them see it, but also help in executing getting it done. And honestly, for me, one of the biggest responsibilities that I have as an integrator is to say, ooh, does, does that particular vision that you're having right now, because visionaries are known for having 10, 15, 20 ideas in a week. Yeah. Does that particular vision fit into the big picture right now? Should we capture that and just hold it in a little spot? I love to call it the visionary sandbox. Are we playing with a vision right now and just kind of testing it out and seeing what you like and don't like? Or are we actually going to take, take action on this? And if we're going to take action, does it fit into the, what we've said we are going to prioritize for the whole year or for this particular quarter? And so really being able to break it down and see all of that. And I think as an integrator too, one of the talents that we have is to be able to see all of the things, right? So I'm not just focused on operations and can we operationally make this happen? I'm worried about, do we have the resources, the financial resources, the talent to be able to do this right now? Is our, our advisory team, do they have everything they need to make this happen? Is our marketing and our sales department, are they going to be equipped with all the things that they need. So as an operating person, I'm really seeing the big picture. I'm really trying to, to navigate through the entire um, firm, not just operations in that one single uh, siloed section. When I'm fighting with the RA owners, I say, no, 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 they're not coming from the geek squad. They're coming from the consulting <laughs> world. And Melissa, you literally are coming from the consulting world, your, your background in management consulting. So talk to us about how you've impacted just the overall strategy, not rebooting the router, but impacting the overall strategy of AltraVista. So I'm going to start now with a confession, and that is I don't actually know how to reboot the router. <laughs> So we have a problem if I'm going to reboot the router, I'm going to have to call someone. I, I do come from the management consulting world. I think what I bring to the table and the difference I've made is my unique ability and my gifts allow me to see what we're trying to create and figure out what needs to happen in order to make that happen. 
Um, and so I tell people, I think in Excel, um, I think in buckets, I think in process, I think in how can we structure, what processes do we need? What structures do we need? What people do we need? What resources do we need to make this happen? And so it is a much more strategic view, but then I am able to jump into each of the nitty gritty areas and thought partner with our leaders or thought partner um, with our vendors or anything to figure out what actually needs to be done, the how of it um, and the nitty gritty pieces behind it. So I can, I can straddle between strategic and tactical and figure out what we need in place. Um, and a lot of it is just asking the right questions um, of the team. Um, one of the things that I constantly um, remind myself of is the answer is in the room and making sure that I'm asking the questions, especially of, again, how do I restart the router? Cause I don't know how to do it. Yep. Um, these types of things. And so I think when you, when you bring in and if you empower and enable that person the right way, you really are getting a strategic leader who can empower you from, you know, a strategic perspective, but also make sure all the tactical is there isn't in place. But um, I don't necessarily know how to do all of the things. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think too, Matt, one of the gifts that we have is to be able to free the visionary or the CEO, the person who has the vision, we get to free them of being the tactical person, right? So give me all the things I need to know about where you want to go. And then I release you of that and you go on to your next big thing so that you can bring that back to us as well. Because the visionaries who, in the visionaries that I have experience with that do really, really amazing things, they're the ones that are always out with the, with a with a big relationships. They're forming. They're connecting with people. Um, they're coming up with the big ideas, and then they're turning all of the things that they don't like to do over to us because that's the things we love to do. Um, so it's a beautiful relationship when it works really well. Yeah. Early in my career, I, my job as COO slash integrator was I would sit in the partners meeting and listen to them banter back and forth and just scribble notes. And then I would walk out of there, um, you know, figuring out which of those we were going to do, like you said, resource yeah. allocation, which, which can we do now? Which can we do later? And then we got a new CEO and, and he plopped himself down into that partners meeting and he looked over at me and he says, you're not a partner. What are you doing in here? And I tried to explain to him what I was doing. He says, no, 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 we'll, we'll let you know what you need to know. And I thought, oh, this, this just fell apart very quickly. <laughs> Again, where that chip started to grow on, on my shoulder that I have now. <laughs> yes, I can 100% understand it. I, I liken it to someone, you need someone in the room who's going to then make sure everything happens. Yeah. And that person needs a seat at the table and not a conversation after the conversations have happened. Exactly. Right. Yep. Well, and one of the things for me is, you know, people ask me about the visionary integrator relationship quite frequently because, you know, I, I clearly have had those my entire career. One of them I had with an operating system and it was beautiful and others, we didn't have an operating system. So we really didn't know, like, what is your role versus mine? How do we make this happen? And the way I love to describe it is it's like a dance and it's one of two dances. You can have two partners that are kind of sort of dancing, but they're really, truly like just stepping over each other's toes. And, you know, it's, it, it's painful for the audience to watch They're they're, mm -hmm. they just feel bad. They're like, Oh my gosh, that just, that just <laughs> looks like it hurts. 
Um, and I don't know about you, Bat, but for me, when you step on my toes enough times, it really truly does hurt. Right. And I don't want to do it anymore. And I think that's what an operating system does for you um, is it really helps you understand, hey, this is your role. This is mine. And let's glide across this dance floor together. This is my dance space. This is your dance space. And that particular VI duo, when that relationship is working, man, first of all, it feels good to be in that relationship where you're just pouring into it because it feels so good. But then also the audience, everybody who's around you seeing that relationship, they're attracted to it. They want to be part of it too. And so it does become a beautiful ballroom dance that is just amazing to watch. I love it. I love that analogy. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned it at the at the outset. You both are doing so much, as everyone just heard, both inside and outside of your day jobs. Um, Melissa, I'm going to go to you first. Can can you? I'm sure you have some time management tips you can share with us. How do you get it all done? I mean, I don't get it all done. I prioritize. <laughs> I will say that, and I tell people that um, all the time, especially working in a growing company. I tell people if you at the end of the week you've checked off everything off your to do list, then it's not enough, right? Yeah. It's got to be a little bit scary and we got to have enough things. So it is ruthless prioritization. Um, and so I try to have a structure to my week. Um, I'm not afraid to say I like structure. I work better when I have structure. Um, so I have a structure to my week. Um, I know when I need to be in meetings and what I need to do. I have my work time blocked. I know when I'm devoted to my outside stuff, when I'm devoted to my family, when I'm devoted to Ultra Vista, when I have FIM time, I'm also a Girl Scout troop leader. I know when I'm doing that kind of work. Um, and for me, I sit down and I do weekly planning. So usually on Sunday nights, I sit down, I know what my priorities are for the week. Um, and priorities are the, the things you need to get done. It's not like a ranking order and you just, you know, you can have 15 priorities. It really is for me, like, what are my top three priorities for the week? And I usually have about a half page left of a to-do list. And so I tell people once I fill that to-do list up in meetings for the week, I'm done for the week. I can't do more than a half. I can't do more than it during the week. And I start pushing things, but um, I do every morning. I, I do some, I, I have block time to do communication. Um, I try really, really hard not to let email and tasks drive my day. That's a huge thing I've learned in the past eight years. Um, so I'm not in my inbox every day. I don't have an executive assistant. I'm not in my inbox every day, um, every minute of every day. I will prioritize my day. Um, and if things need to shift, I will shift them. Um, and that's really what it is. But I, I try to let everybody know ruthless prioritization um, is how I do it. Make sure you have a plan. Um, if you don't think you need a plan, you do actually still need a plan. It just might not be as structured of a plan as somebody like me needs. But I think everybody needs a plan and everybody needs to know what their priorities are for the week. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, those are the two foundational things that I do from a time management standpoint. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty strict with my time. Like if I'm going into a meeting and the meeting is from eight to nine, I start the meeting at eight o'clock and I try to end it by eight 55. Um, I, I don't like meetings that's that they EOS teaches a principal start on time, end on time. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that well before I even learned about EOS. Um, I just, I, I don't like it when I'm late to meetings. I don't like it when people are late to meetings. And so that's really how I keep it too, is really try to keep my schedule to where it needs to be. I put some buffer time in there. So 
I'm not back. I do not like back-to-back meetings. Otherwise um, I can't go to the restroom when I need to. Right. Um, <laughs> or I get really hangry because I can't get food. I don't mind grabbing lunch in 15 minutes, but I got to at least be able to grab lunch. Yeah. So, so those are the things I do actually. And I, at the, at the end of every month, I go back through my calendar and I clear everything out. I take all the tasks that didn't get done. I put them in a bucket and I'm like, all right, what needs to get done this month? What slid that I'm like, oh shoot, now I have a problem. Um, and so that way also, when I look back on my calendar, it's clear and I'm not going back in November and going, oh, I knew I was supposed to do something in March, but I didn't do it. Yeah. And that helps me plan my month and quarters as well. Yep. Well, Christy, how, how do you manage your never ending to-do list? Yeah, I think Melissa's right. Um, I love the terminology. Kathy Mayfield, I think, is the first person I heard say it, ruthless prioritization. Um, and for me, there's really four major things that I do. I agree with Melissa. Um, you know, now that I'm I'm the integrator for two companies, the Visionary Forum and iMatter, and I'm the visionary for um for FEM, it's really important to me that I make sure that I'm blocking my calendar to give plenty of time for all of those things. And then also for my, my family, you know, and just to have a personal life too. So block scheduling is a huge thing for me. My assistant that works with me, she knows if you're scheduling something for me, please make sure you put it in these buckets. Um, that way I can focus when I get into that time frame. I know from this time to this time, I am working on this and this alone. Um, and it really, really helps me to stay focused and to accomplish everything that I have to. I'm huge on task lists. Um, I have a list for everything. My husband makes fun of me because I have a thorough list when I am packing to go on vacation. Um, everything has a list. Um, and I, I really stay very, very um, strict to that list. I make sure that what I'm accomplishing is, is getting um, prioritized. The list is always in order of what is the most important thing for me to accomplish down to the very, very bottom of if it gets done, great. If it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. It's just one of those things I want to get done. And very similar to Melissa, every day I'm moving it forward um, and looking to see like, gosh, what 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 got what was on the priority list that didn't get done? And now I need to re re-examine that. So lists are huge for me. Um, a little bit different than Melissa, I am a, a zero inbox person. So I am very, very lucky that I have an amazing um, assistant that she is my lifeline. She is so incredibly important to everything that I do. Um, and she keeps my my um my email inbox down to a zero. I have a a folder within my emails that these are the emails that you're looking at. Don't look at all the other ones, just look at these. And so that really helps me stay very focused. But I really truly think one of the biggest things that I do, and it's an EOS tool that really teaches us, you know, what, um, how to, how to bring everything together is a clarity break. You know, I walk into, uh, you know, about a two hour time frame where I literally have a pen and paper, which I've now am using my remarkable. I love that tool, but it's just me, my remarkable and all of my thoughts that I just pour out. It can be, oh my gosh, you need to check on this or, you know, you haven't even, you, you haven't touched this in a while. And so you really need to look into that, you know, versus things that I want to explore first things that I need to get done. And so that two hour time frame every single week to just sit with my thoughts, what I'm wanting to do, things that I need to contemplate, things I need to get done, prioritize, 
it really, really does help me bring it together. And I personally do mine every Friday so that I can wrap up my week with, gosh, what do, what are the things that in order for me to walk away this week, feeling really successful, what are the two or three things that I need to get done today? And what else can wait till next week? And it just brings closure for me to that particular week so that I know I'm walking away every single week being successful. And if I, if I don't, I also find that I have to give myself grace and forgiveness that you, you got two of the three done next week. You just need to make sure number three is number one. I don't, I just can't comprehend the inbox zero people. I'm just looking now. (laughs) I'm, I'm proud. I have 661 items in my inbox when I'm not proud that 193 of them are unread. My, my version of in the box zero is I have zero unread messages in my inbox. That's yep. my version of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and sometimes what I'll do so that it's a zero inbox is that that email may become a to do, right? It may be a task that I need to, to get done. And so I'm taking it out of the email and putting it on the list. <laughs> yeah. Well, another area that, that we talk a lot on this podcast about, you know, the role of, of the COO slash integrator, um, in the, in the typical RIA, uh, role, uh, there's, there's the operations operating portion of it. Uh, you know, the tech stack of course, and then there's HR. And we recently wrote an article for wealthmanagement.com. We titled it beyond embarrassing employee onboarding needs to improve in the RIA industry. And in that article, we discussed not only onboarding, but the need for better training and career pathing in our industry. Um, I think it can be quite horrendous in some circumstances. So you both have done a lot of, of work in this area. Melissa, why don't you go first? Tell us what you've done to address the, the, the career pathing training, et cetera. So I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, <laughs> we, we have done um, a lot, we've put a large amount of work towards employee onboarding, um, just in general, um, as an organization, onboarding folks to our organization, what we do, how we do it, who we do it for. Um, and I think I, I tell everyone when they join the first two weeks, I'm like, I don't need you. I don't need you to jump in and be a hero and save anything. I just need you to sit back and immerse yourself in our culture. And so for us, a huge piece of our onboarding is, you know, immersing yourself and understanding our people and our culture. Um, and I think that's one of the things I did when I first joined the organization was figuring out onboarding and how we did this and, and whatnot. And um, I work with an amazing operations coordinator and she manages all of our onboarding um, and innovates within that process. So they get gifts before they start. And when they join the team, you know, they meet with everybody on the team and get to know everyone and what they're doing. And it really is a great process to get them in um, and get them knowing about what we're doing. Um, And then I do agree that the key to retaining your top talent is to provide them that vision, that path, and provide them the training and the development they need to continue to grow and develop within your organization. Because the fact of the matter is, is if you're not doing that, someone is going to provide that for them and they are going to leave. Um, So we've done a large amount of work on career pathing. Um, I can tell you that one of my chips on my shoulders um, after being in this industry five years is I feel like this industry does a great job of career pathing for advisors. I do not feel this industry does a great job of career pathing for anybody other than advisors. And that is a big piece of what we've tried to do is figure out how do you keep 
non-advisor talent because it's so critical that you keep them. How do you keep them and provide growth paths for them if they don't want to get a CFP and they don't want to be an advisor? Um, and they're not quote unquote, just operations or something like that. Yeah. So I think that is something that as organizations, you set yourself apart if you do that. So providing those client experience routes, um, providing the <clears throat> portfolio management routes, providing the marketing routes, um, even in the business development world, I've seen a shift for non CFP business development. Um, and so I think we, we, as our organization provide, we did professional development plans, um, right as COVID was happening, we were rolling those out um, just so folks had some career pathing. And then we were super honest with people when we didn't have a benchmark to go up against and say, this industry doesn't really give us a great career path for you. So we're going to have to work with you on it. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's pull in some external resources. Um, this year, one of our big pushes um, is as, as things were opening back up, was everyone get external get, find yourself an external networking group or an external teaching group, whether that's a Vistage, for me, it was a FIM, um, FPA, something that gets you outside because that's how you drive a lot of growth is you get outside, learn what others are doing to your same problems, figure yeah. out how you can apply what they're doing and come back in. And that to me is a huge piece of growth. Um, and those platforms, we do book clubs as an organization, um, we try to do trainings um, around a lot of those personality profiles and things as an organization. And then there's just a huge amount of, um, we're very lucky in that our CEO loves to coach and mentor. Um, and so we get that within our organization as well. Hopefully that answered your question. No, it, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's my frustration, we talked about a little bit in that article that I mentioned, it, you know, RIAs are relatively small organizations, you know, 20 mm -hmm. people, maybe less. Uh, and so rightfully so, everyone's so protective of their culture. And they think, man, you know, adding the the 16th employee as opposed to adding the 6,016th employee, you know, this is going to really affect our, our culture. So you put these poor candidates through the ringer during the interview process. We need you to take three personality tests and we need to make sure you're going to be a fit. And, and then, the, you know, they go through this months-long process and then day one, it's, it, the, oh, hey, you're, we haven't quite set up your desk yet. Why don't you plug your computer in and we might get to you by lunch. Um, not sure because we're all pretty busy and we all waited way too long to hire. And so we're all swamped and, and, and stuck with our own work. We might get to you. And it's just, it's just such a letdown for these poor, poor candidates that are coming in so excited to join this organization that just put them through the ringer. Oh, I totally agree. And not only is it a letdown, but I am sure that then they're like, well, how is the rest of this going to be? Right. Like, what does the rest of my future look like right. if you haven't figured out my first week? I don't even know where I'm supposed to park on the first day. Right. What are you talking about? So I it, having a plan for folks, and that's the thing, it sets the stage, right? You want them to feel welcome. And so that is one of the things um, Yvette is my operations coordinator. And that's one of the things she introduced in the process is, you know, this, this welcome box that they get before they even join the organization, or if it's on their desk when they get there. And she is uber protective of that new hire experience and very much of, you will have your equipment, you will have an office space. We do write welcome to the team outside the office. And it's those little touches that you want them to feel welcome and special. And you want them to not spend the first day questioning their decision. Yep. Yep. Well, Christy, you've done a ton of work in this area too. So talk to us about your experience with, with career pathing, training, et cetera. 
Yeah, I, I think, first of all, just complete validation for what you're both saying. It, it is it is one of those things that we don't think about. And for me, the onboarding process really starts much earlier than even the interviewing. It is thinking through what you said, Matt, not waiting until we're so busy yeah. that we have to have a person. I truly believe that when um, you're at 80% capacity, you need to start having conversations about when are we bringing in a new person because we're getting there. And so preparing the job description, preparing for interviews, all of those things, getting it on the calendar. As soon as you've identified, ah, we are, we are getting really close to a new higher need. Um, and I totally agree. I love um, sending um, a, 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 a letter that comes directly from me um, that shares with them what parking is going to look like, what they need to bring on their first day. Um, and then we send a, we send a copy of the book, um, What the Heck is EOS? And explain to them, you need to understand how our company works. And this is a great foundational book for how it, how it works. Um, so those two things have been really, really great. We send a care package from the entire team. Um, when the person gets there, there's an entire experience that's happening. They go around, they get to meet everybody, tour the office. You know, we give them pointers on, you know, what what restaurants are in the area, which ones take longer. Um, if you if you're crunched for time, be careful not to go to these places. These places are really, really great. Yeah. Um, you know, and and we we have a we have another gift that is ready for, waiting for them um, on their desk that you know is is things for their desk you know mouse pad and pens and all those kind of things but it's in a gift package yeah. so that they really feel like these are the foundational things that we are providing to you and whatever you want additional to that you know just let us know. Um, one of the other things for me though is with the onboarding process is it's not just about the person who's who's joining the team it's about their family too, and so we're really cautious, uh, I'm sorry, conscious and aware that on that person's first day, we're delivering a gift to their spouse as well. Um, we've, we've delivered care packages to them. Um, if they have children, we, we send, you know, logoed onesie or an item to them as well so that they feel like they're welcomed into our family, just like that person is. Um, I agree with Melissa, you know, we have career ladders that we've built out and I totally agree that the advisory part of our, of our industry has things that are beautifully written for them. We've taken a lot of time to do that with operations as well, because it, it is important for them as well. If you want your people to stay, they need to see their growth in their career path as well, not just the advisory team. One of the tools that I love that EOS teaches us is quarterly conversations, right? So instead of just waiting to have an annual review and look back at the entire year and be like, hey, this is where you did great and this is where you need to improve, it's more frequent. It's quarterly so that, man, I, I'm hearing from my manager where, where my strengths are, where I can continue to improve. And I think that's really important a part as a part of the onboarding process, too. We explain that to them. These, these are not things that are here to hurt you. They're actually really here to help you and develop you. And by setting that stage at the very beginning, you invite people to be in, to be part of that career ladder, to be part of their development. And I think that's really, really important. And the last thing I'll say about this really too is, um, you know, for me personally, someone's first day is just as important as their last day, hmm. um, you know, making them feel like, hey, the work that you did here is amazing. And we are so incredibly grateful and appreciative of what you did. 
goes a long way. And as they're departing and going somewhere else, regardless of where that somewhere else is, they will always remember the experience they had on that very last day. Yep. Yep. Well, let's do a very quick book report because I, I clearly I know traction. We've like I said, several people have brought that up. I, I have not read, but I know of Rocket Fuel, but I didn't know there was one called What the Heck is EOS? So what <laughs> what is the talk to me real briefly about the I mean, obviously traction is the is the the basis of it, but t- tell me a, a little bit about what the difference is between those three books. Yeah, so Traction explains EOS, the actual operating system, and it's a perfect book for the entire leadership team to read. We sometimes, depending on the person, will have other team members read it as well. Rocket Fuel is an amazing um, for the visionary and the integrator to really know and understand uh, those two relationships. Um, there is a there is what the heck is EOS, and that is an amazing tool for um, your employees who are not necessarily leadership, and so they don't need to dive as deep into okay. traction. But it gives them the foundation. What are what are L tens, and what is this verbiage, and what is this thing that I keep hearing about? It solidifies it for them. There's also a couple of other books. Um, there is uh, How to Be a Great Boss. That is a really, really good um, book for uh, managers who are really kind of learning um, how to be a great manager, um, amazing tools and resources that are in it. And then um, the other one is um, uh, Get a Grip. Yeah. Sorry. Melissa, you want to explain that one? No, I was just filling in your sentences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great integrator fills in it's your a, sentences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's the uh, entrepreneurial fable. Get a grip. Yeah, it's it's the fable of of EOS and how it can happen. Oh, and I almost forgot um, the new book that just got launched this last year is the EOS life. And so it's really, truly like, how do you live your optimized life? Um, And it kind of shows you the tools and resources from EOS that allow you to live that optimized life. Um, And then they have a couple more that are going to be coming out uh, this year and next year. Um, One of them is on process. And as an integrator, I'm like, oh, so excited. My visionary at UltraVista and I did a um, call with Mike Payton and Lisa Gonzalez, who are writing process. And I am so excited because I love process. Yep. Yes. And And that's the name of the book on it. That's coming out, I think, in September of this year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, that's super helpful. We've got a lot of readers, uh, our listeners, everybody loves books. So the, all, all of those were, were very helpful. So thank you for running through those. Yeah, well, this, absolutely. Yeah, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm so impressed with both of you. I can't believe what you've built with uh, with FIM. Um, I think I'm, I, I hope we found you a few new members today as well. So we'll link to the website um, as part of the, the, the notes for this. Um, hopefully people will be reaching out for some more information there. Uh, but Christy, Melissa, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having us. This has been a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you, Matt, for having us. Sorry that we were so difficult to get scheduled for you. <laughs> no problem. No problem. <laughs> that is a wrap for uh, episode 42. So thanks everyone for listening. And uh, apparently COVID is not completely behind us. So everybody stay safe out there and uh, we will talk to you soon.